0: And so we are jumping in here with our series of four weeks, five weeks, we introduced it and we're in the second step here of what it is and what it is to be the church and what it is that God's called us to do. You know, a lot of times people have ideas of what the church should be, what the church should do, and how we should go about it. But Jesus set in the great command and the great commission, the things that we should do. And we've kind of distilled it. And this isn't original with us. It's uh, it's just great and it fits us perfect. But we believe that every single person that is here, that comes into this church, that comes through it, that God wants you to first know who he is. And that never ends. You get introduced to him, but then the more, I found that the more closer I get to him, the more I realize how many more amazing things there, there are to discover about God. So we wanna know him. Second thing is this, that you need to find freedom in your life. Every single one of us could be freer. And here's how it works. Forgiveness happens vertically freedom happens horizontally when we allow our lives to be shared with others and we allow people close enough to see our faults and our moles and our mistakes. And we we divide our sorrows and we multiply our joys together. That's finding freedom. And then, of course, after that, discovering purpose and the ultimate thing that God wants you to live on purpose so that you make a difference. There's no fingerprint the same. There's no snowflake alike. You are not an accident. I don't care what brought you into this world. God knew you before you were born, and he called you, and he has a purpose for you, and he loves you, and he, if you will listen to him and follow the steps that he places before you, you will find yourself going in directions and to experiences and opportunities that you never would have been able to make happen with all of your resources you could have ever dreamed to bear upon it he's a good God amen Amen. and so that's our topic today the second one from knowing God to finding freedom And before we do this, I I think there are so many things going on in this church that are really the best kept secret because we never really tell them to you, but we've made kind of a new promise that we're going to constantly bring back to you opportunities that God's put here. And in this topic of finding freedom for your life, of breaking free, I feel like I'm going to bust out in high school musical singing right now, but I won't do that, but in finding freedom, you you need a couple of steps in your life. You might be like, well, what's the next step for me? This is real easy. Go to the class next. It's that simple. In the last room on the right to the back of the room every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m., Pastor Dylan is in there teaching the next class, and it shows you everything about our church and everything about the walk and, of christ and and all of the opportunities that are before you there second thing is this is water baptism we usually baptize on the fifth sunday of every month we have a new mobile tank that we'll have here as we're still renovating thank you by the way thanks for being great as we renovate i made that rhyme up and we put it there but but we're gonna have a new mobile tank and it's gonna be like a jacuzzi we're gonna have to keep you guys out of it it's amazing but here's the thing Why do we get water baptized? Why do I want to get wet? Because Jesus commanded it. He said that that when Peter was preaching, all of a sudden everyone was cut to the heart and he said, what do we need to do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Let me give you a confession. I was in my second year of Bible college when I was baptized in water second year Bible college. Nobody ever said to me, hey, baptism is the next step. And I'm like, well, why do I want to get, like, wet? I was young. I was still single, and I didn't want to get my hair messed up, and I'm like, I just don't want to do this. But you know what? The reason that we do it is because Jesus commanded it, and it's a symbol that when we accept Jesus, listen, Paul Conway no longer lives. Christ lives in me. And my faults and my penalties and my sins are no longer mine. They were put on Jesus. How many of you are grateful for the cross? That's what it was all about, that we did this unfair exchange where He took all our sin and shame, and we got all the blessings and rights of an adopted child into the kingdom of heaven. So, water baptism is going into the grave and coming out in newness of life. And it was my second year in Bible college. And the pastor said out loud, He says, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you've never been baptized, you need to come forward. And I'm not telling you, like, right now, come forward, but I'm saying, get on the phone, get in the email, call the church office, office at lolag.org, 978 851 9800. Say, I've never been baptized. Put me on for September. 28th I want to get baptized I want everybody to know that I'm in love with Jesus and he has taken away my sin and shame and I have every benefit and blessing from him and I showed up at church and he randomly did that and I was baptized little did I know that I would work I was just thinking about this honey that I would work for this man for like and next to him and under him for almost like 15 years He's now the director of Teen Challenge New England. His name's Pat Manzo, and he does not know how to fail. He's an incredible guy. But I didn't even know that night when I was in Bible college that I would be in that church and that would be my community. Who knows what God will do with your life as you take the st- steps that he puts before you so I say this to you if you've given your life to Christ recently or maybe you're like me and you gave your life to Christ and nobody ever said that hey be baptized like it's this is gonna we're gonna blow the roof off Teen Challenge is gonna be here that day and listen whether you are a saint that never got dipped or you are a fresh sinner in need of a bath we've got a baptismal tank for you that's the next step for your life and this one I put out there we take counseling very seriously in our church you know why because I believe that there are people that are anointed of God to untie the knots. Some problems are just too complex and some things just are too private and deep for me to just spill them out in any direction. And counseling is confidential. And listen, hear me. The counseling in this church is professional. And if we can't help you, we will refer you out. But one of my rules as a pastor is whenever anyone comes on staff, the first thing they need to do is find a counselor. And if possible, visit them for six weeks. And they'll be like, well, I don't have any problems. No, but you know what the problem will be is when you do, and I need you to go to a counselor that you won't be resisting that. When you hear the, the, the counseling word, many people are kind of like, yeah, no, no. I, this pastor has consistently gone to counselors professional, godly, anointed people. And I've come to find just as sure as there are people like Pastor Dylan who know how to organize and orchestrate things or Pastor Caitlin who knows how to like get kids to like a a herd of cats and get them all meowing in the same direction. There are people that are anointed to do what the Bible said Daniel did. He was anointed at understanding mysteries. He was able to untie difficult knots. Remember when you were a kid and your shoelace got so knotted, it was just like your parents were like, we just need to cut this and throw it out. There's some people out there that are like, no, let's just take it one knot at a time and we can help you with this. Last but not least, this is really the core of what I want to talk with you about today. Finding freedom happens in small groups. In small groups. And if you go to our website, in fact, and uh, you go to the, the link up there that says Next Steps, there are all kinds of things, some of that I just mentioned, but one of them is small groups, and there are more groups than you know, you'll know what to do with. We got groups. We just had a group of young ladies just just visit a couple of moms recently, and it was awesome. And wherever that goes or doesn't go, and the fact that people are in each other's lives, loving on each other. We've got every Tuesday night, in the last room on the right, at what time, Pastor Dylan? Just. At 6.30 to 8 we have Celebrate Recovery. If you've got hurts, hang-ups, or habits and you can't break free, this is the place where you can have it happen. You've got people surrounding you looking at you saying, I understand what it's like to struggle. We're here for you and that group there will gather around you. We've got young adult groups. We've got accountability groups. You might be saying, there isn't a group up there that I really want to participate with. Well, that's awesome. Create one. We would love for you to do it. And you know what a group is? It's simply this. You get together and you say, hey, let's, let's start this with prayer. You just pray a simple prayer and then you open up God's word and then you just simply do something together. We had guys that were canoeing together. Guess what? That's an outdoor group. Oh, well, Pastor Paul, that's not discipleship. Yes and no. Yep, I know that it's not deep exegesis. I understand that it is not getting into the thick of God's word and all that, but you know what? I need people that can have fun with me as much as can study God's word. I need people that I can laugh with so that when the moment comes, I can cry with them. And, uh Um, that's what we need. We need to do life together and that's the way the early church was. So we have a new group that's starting up now called, uh, uh, I don't know what they called it, Great Marriages, that's it. And um, this will be a group that will get together here at the church, I think on Tuesdays, and it'll be focused on parenting and uh, relationships with husbands and wives. And um, how many of you could say, oh my goodness, when I was young, I wish I had this in my life. And it's not just limited to young people, it's, and it's not just limited for new Christians or old Christians, it's anybody. And the person that's teaching this is qualified. We made a decision that we need to make marriages, not just kids, but marriages a priority in our church. So once a quarter, we're doing something here that helps you have an opportunity to improve your marriage. Number one, we have small groups like this Two, when February 2nd happens, Saturday, February 2nd, we're gonna remove all these chairs and put tables and we're gonna have a special conference speaker, Pastor Tony Palo, who's gonna do a one-day seminar called Married for Life. And it's an awesome, awesome ministry. You heard the announcement about a weekend to remember, the early bird special, $176, two, a weekend away, that's meals, that's a night, that's a night or that's, I think that's two nights away. Man, you need to invest in your marriage the same way that you invest in your kids because one day your kids are gonna be gone you got to do life with that person that's with you and and that's just so important and then finally to top it all off this is just really I'm happy about what we're doing with with married stuff because in August we have rented a gigantic British sailboat in the Bay of of Boston Harbor and we will all be going as couples and I think it's like $30 a person we'll go out to eat and then as couples whether you're newly married engaged or you you are just uh, empty nesters and we're all going to spend an afternoon and evening sailing around eating maybe we should do eating after sailing instead of sailing uh, eating first or I don't know we'll figure it out but great stuff happening here and so with that in mind I want us to focus in here today on the step of specifically finding freedom. It's amazing where your feet will take you if you're not careful. And so one time this little kid was in his house and the phone rang and he picks up the phone he goes, hello. So the guy goes, well, hello there, young man. He goes, uh, he goes, may I speak to your parents? And he goes, I'm sorry, they're busy. You can't. And he goes, hmm. He goes, well, why are they busy? What are they doing? he says, well, they're talking to the police. And he goes, uh, the policeman, he goes, He, he, he goes. Well, uh, can I talk to the police? No, they're busy talking to my parents. He goes, well, is there anybody else that's there that I could talk to? And he goes, the fireman. And he goes, the fireman, can I talk to the fireman? And he goes, no. He goes, why? He goes, they're busy. And so the guy's like, so let me get this straight, little boy. Your mom, the police, and the firemen are there, but I can't talk to any of them because they're busy. What are they doing? And the kid goes, They're looking for me. (laughs) I thought that was cute. We had friends that one time went to, I think it was Home Depot or Lowe's, and they were in there, and their little kid, all of a sudden they turned to look for him, and he, I don't know if it was his or or her, I can't even remember him, and he was gone, and they were panicking, and then finally they shut the store down. They said, nobody leaves, and it was like a few hours later yeah, I got this right. Details are important. My wife wants me to be integrous with my communication. It was a couple of hours later, and then all of a sudden somebody opens up a cabinet sink on display, and the kids in there are just snoozing. <laughs> so even for the right reasons, it's easy for us to scurry off into directions that create challenges for us, and challenges for those around us. Um, you know, God has promise for your life but it's going to require you being diligent to take the next steps. And it's not giant leaps that transform your life in this thing called the Christian walk, it's baby steps, it really is. It's going to next, getting baptized, you know, maybe seeing a counselor, getting in a small group, you know, plugging in to serving, joining a dream team, you know, being in people's lives, and, and really the heart of today I wanna to share with you is really focusing on the aspect of doing life together. You see, right now, the truth is, we do church terrible in rows. We do it best in circles of friendship. I'm gonna, sometimes I feel like I'm a different form of a Catholic priest, and this is mass. And we show up, and we do our mass, and we kneel, sit, stand, kneel, sit, stand. Aren't you glad we don't do all that here? But growing up in that, you sit, stand, kneel, and then you all leave. Some of you I haven't even had a real conversation with. Some of you, you haven't had a real conversation with the people you've sat next to. And what I've come to find is is that the church is not just this. It's that close relationship where we let people close enough to celebrate our joys, divide our sorrows, bear our burdens. That's how the church was meant to be. But really, God has us on a journey. And the Bible says that the steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered to the Lord. And so we just, sometimes we get so obsessed with the destination that we, we, we misstep. And, and it's important for us not to, to, to miss those small steps because it's, it's the small step that reaches the destination in this thing called the Christian walk and the journey of life. And we were never meant to do it alone. But sometimes we allow our past to intrude in our present and dictate our future. How many of you have ever had a past wound, past situation totally impose itself on your present opportunities? And it's like a chain that somebody yanks back, like, I got that, I want that. And then all of a sudden it just yanks, and they're like, no, you can't because of this, because of that. There's a great passage, uh, there's a great book I've been reading here, and I want to put out to you. It's really the, the catalyst for this whole series, but the book What Next by Chris Hodges And obviously we've fashioned this after. This is a book, listen, whether you're a scholar or a simple Christian, just checking out Christianity, this book will transform your life. It brings us back to the basics. I highly recommend it. And um, every once in a while, there are some things in here that inspires it. But this author's discussion on the verse I wanna share with you just made this verse come alive and I hope it does for you. And if you'd pray with me, I wanna ask God to do what I can't, speak to your heart change your life father in the name of Jesus we just thank you for your presence and once again I ask you it's your word it's inspired by you it's your truth Lord take everything that I say and separate what's the words of man from the words of God and I pray that your word would produce fruit fruit that remains that we'd be encouraged today and we'd be strengthened in Jesus name amen read this verse look at this verse with me Starts in Genesis. Everybody knows Abraham. I mean, of course, he's the father of faith. He is the father whose children were named after the 12 tribes of Israel. No Israelite does not know who this man is. Every Jewish person knows who this person is. Most Christians and even people who don't grow up in the church, outside of the church, know who he is. But he's the guy that God said, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And he's like, how? I'm, I'm 80 years old. And, and it, a miracle happens. His wife has a kid and they say, what are we gonna name him? Name him Laughter because this is a joke, man. And there's no way that we, this could ever happen. But God does it and he has these children. And finally, we have the 12 tribes, which comes to the nation of Israel and they are a nation even to this day. And we know Abraham, but not very many people know know Terah his father in fact I think if Terah the father of Abraham had kept in step with God we wouldn't be reading the story of Abraham we would be reading the story of Terah and it just speaks to you and I I think of how easy it is to get stalled in this journey called Christianity God has no tenure and he has no grandchildren and the Christian Christianity is a full contact sport that demands that we constantly take the next step what's your next step There's one for you. Whether you've been in this church since Pastor Guyberson or you've just come in here recently, God has a next step for you that's gonna move you towards greater things because God has greater things for your life and he wants you to do it. Genesis chapter 11, 27 and 28. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran, the baby of the family here, died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Or of the Chaldeans, he gave birth. His wife gave birth to a son. I don't know when he died. I don't know if he was a stillborn child. I don't know if he was uh, hit by a horse. I don't know if he was murdered by ancient Near Eastern gangs. I don't know if he died of a drug overdose. Some stories, the names change, and the faces change, but the the bottom line really is as, as, is nothing new here. This was a tragic moment in this man's life. I just, uh, you know, my first year here, um, we, we had to journey with a family, and we just recently journeyed with that family with the loss of a mom. It, it's just, there's something completely different where you, when someone's older, you're like, okay, I understand, but when it's somebody young, it's, it's tragic. And uh, by the way, this family, I've never met a family that grieves better, and I told them, I said, you, if I ever suffer loss, I want you there because you guys just are so beautiful in the way that you come together in love and support, and I mean that with all my heart. But his sun passes, you know, we all have some incident, some person, some habit, and we say to ourselves, if that never happened, or if it was removed from my life, or if it was just ended once for all, man, I'd be free and I could move forward and everything would be changed forever. Look what happens here, though, in his life. Tara took Abram, his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, the daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into where? The land of what? Canaan. You know what Canaan is? It's the promised land. They were headed in a direction where everything Every possibility, every potential, everything bright and beautiful. The world was before them and God was ahead of them and gone before them. God was like, I've got good things for your life. I'm gonna do incredible things. I'm gonna make you into a nation. You're gonna change the world throughout millennium. I'm gonna do great things. And here Abram, his father, his whole family's going and somehow they get derailed. And the Bible says, but they, when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of terror were 205. And Terah died in Haran. What's interesting is he suffered this loss and he started the journey and then all of a sudden he's like, what's the name of the city? And they said, Haran, Haran. That's my boy's name. That's my boy's name. Guys, can we just like settle here? Can we live here for just a little bit? Let's do it. And they did. And finally the Bible shows us that In a few verses later, the same call that went out to his father now goes to Abram and God says, leave your kindred, your family, your country and go to the place I'll show you. You see, life is a faith journey and it's one step at a time that gets us there. But sometimes there are moments and instances in our past that impede on our present and deny us God's best for our life and our future. Are there past moments in your life that are in your present that are limiting your future. And listen, please those of you that are Christians, don't shut off here because some of us I've come to learn that as followers of Christ we have some of the biggest baggage out there because we have a huge bag and it's called Jesus and we just throw everything ugly and nasty in that thing and we can just carry that sucker around and even Jesus is so gracious to us the bag he gives us has wheels and so we can just totally like take that thing on the road but listen you you, you know I, I don't know about you but I still need a savior every day. I need daily salvation. I still need a savior in my life because I'm still flawed. And you do too. But let me ask you this. In your life, what are some of the choices in your life that you're sad about, that you wish you never made, or you're glad about? And you're like, I'm so glad I took that risk. What people do you hold a grudge but they're no longer in your circle of friendship? Do you know that there are people in our past that are no longer in our present, that ruin our future because we hold a grudge. And one of my mentors said it like this, you can nurse a grudge, but it never heals. What relational or circumstantial hurt paused your journey? What thing changed that you refused to accept? Or maybe we could say it like this, what things can you end and start and begin that you're avoiding to stop and start And you're trapped and you're paused because someone, something, some circumstance impacted you. See, God has a journey for you. There's always another step. There's always the next thing. And it requires us to let go of some things and to latch on to others. And and if we'll let God order our steps, you know, the steps of a righteous man and woman are ordered of the Lord. But we always think of like, you know, um, I'm kind of going in this direction and man, God's working it out. Yeah, but you know what? There's also a commanding aspect to that where God says step here step there and some of us we don't do the walk of jesus we do the hopscotch jesus you ever see that you know we're like and then we just like let fate like ooh, no i don't like that so i'm going to throw the rock there and we're just going to avoid this thing and we're just going to jump over it and the whole time jesus is like let me be lord not you i'm better at it and i always concede you know, and to my embarrassment, Lord, be Lord in my life, help me. There's a word that I just, you know when you hear a new word and you're kind of like, all of a sudden everybody starts using it, and it's not that it's new, it's just that you just awoke to the definition, but the word is entropy. Entropy is defined as a gradual decline into disorder because of a lack of attention to things that need to be maintained, and I've found that my office, Somebody had a dream recently that came with to me. Pastor Paul, I went to talk to you and leave you a note, but I couldn't because everything was piled up with paper and none of the papers were like, they were all written on and I, I couldn't leave you a message. I'm like, that's God, sister, because my life is like a pile of paper and work right now. And, but I've come to find that there are things in my life that I have to give attention to on a regular basis. If not, they disintegrate, they deteriorate, they decline and, and your life is no different, I'm sure. And it's so hard when you got two kids a dog, uh, a spouse, um, or no spouse, two kids and dog, or uh, it sounds like a country song, but it's it's a challenge. Life is a challenge, and and it requires us just, it, it can be exhausting. But I want you to know something. Jesus wants us to find freedom and keep finding it. Listen to this verse. It's found in Galatians 5.1. It goes like this. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. <laughs> this was a verse that really came alive to me later in my Christian walk because it finally struck me, wow, freedom is not a once-and-done thing. I said the prayer, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, come into my heart, come into my heart, forgive me my sins. Okay, done, boom, bang, on with life. Um, catch up with you in eternity, Jesus it's i've come to find that i've had some of the harder struggles as a christian that they don't leave how many of you have come to find that when you come to jesus struggles don't disappear they're still there they need to be dealt with and although i get things off of my chest and i get them off of my life and off of my judgment and say jesus forgive me he's like of course i forgive you i come to find that that Forgiveness is vertical, but if I wanna get freedom and get things out of my life and transform and change, I need to let people close enough into my life that I find freedom comes horizontal with people close enough to see me, faults and all, that care enough about me, that they don't abandon me because I'm not perfect, but they speak into my life and challenge me, or they cheer me on when I don't have the strength, or they rear me in and pull me in when I'm off the reservation, we need that, and freedom is not a once-and-done thing. He sets you free, but then you got to continue to do it. There's three things that hinder freedom. I'll tell you, the first one is really straightforward, me and you. You are your own worst enemy when it comes to your freedom. How many of you know what I'm talking about here, right? Like, I got, yep, the God speaks as clear as can be. Yup, yup, yup. okay, all right, this is how we're going to do it. And he's sitting there like, well, did we just have the same conversation here? I... Limit people's access to my life because I don't want you close enough because if you get close Then you're gonna speak into my life and I'm gonna have to change that and I don't want to change that So I'm gonna I'm just gonna be like hey God bless you. How you doing? And and don't get me wrong like we need authentic relationships I'm not saying like will you all be my friend, but like I I love you You're all my friend as a pastor but like those authentic genuine relationships where you have peers and people that care about you that no one you're missing that You know this week. I've had about three people tell me so-and-so is in the hospital or such-and-so such as going through that thing. They didn't call me, they called people because people are in their life and we need people in our life. But I'm the greatest hindrance to my freedom. Not only me, but others, things that people do to you. How many of you have had somebody do something to you and they took away your freedom? And and let me tell you what, the Bible says that, that, that we can take that back and he'll restore what the locust has eaten. The enemy doesn't get to keep that. When you're in Christ, God gets you on a journey where you can recover that loss and that sorrow, and God can give it back to you a hundredfold, but I find others can impact my freedom, and not only that, but sometimes circumstances limit it. But there are three things that can help us find freedom, and really one I want to focus heavy on, and the first is friends. We need friends, and when I don't mean friends, I don't mean like just any friends, I mean friends, people who are followers of Christ that, that, are, that know God's word or are coming to know it, that are close enough to your life that they actually care and they love you that when you are not perfect, instead of leaving you, they close the distance and say, let's work on this. Or that you can go to them privately and say, man, my life is falling apart, my marriage is struggling, um, I've got this vice in my life, I've got this need in my, uh, in my life and I don't know what to do, and I don't, I don't know either, but let's ask God to help us. How many of you got friends like that, man? You can't pay a price for that, but you need friends they help you find freedom. Second thing is this is honesty, especially with addiction, but I would tell you this with any issue in life. You know what the bottom line number one problem is with people getting freedom is honesty. Honesty. I have watched when I've watched people with addiction issues and I've watched people with regular everyday vice problems struggle not because God was not powerful enough to set that person free, but because they were unwilling to to be honest. That hinders our, our freedom and honesty helps it. And you need people that you can be honest with, not just vertical but horizontal. And lastly most importantly, the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what, there are things that no matter, if we had a billion dollars in this church and we had a million people in this church and we had all of this resource, we wouldn't be able to do a single thing that God by his spirit does. There are things that the Holy Spirit does that you and I will never be able to do, and it is not enough to have friends, and it is not enough to have honesty. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and allowing God access to come in and just transform us and to be open to that and to say, God, you know what? Do what you want in my life. But I've come to find that, really, the number one place where this takes root is stepping into small groups in a church. Check this out. I believe that finding freedom through small groups is in the Bible. It's modeled in the Bible. It's biblical. It's there. I was just talking to somebody recently. I was trying to think about some things that, like... If they're separate, they're no good, but if they're mixed together, they're powerful. For instance, sodium in its metallic form, you could take a chunk of sodium, throw it in water, and boom, it explodes. It's awesome. There's nobody under the age of, like, 15 in here, right, listening to this. Good. That's a boy thing. I mean, You've got to understand. You just throw that in the water and it explodes. And chloride, if we were to fill this room with chloride instead of oxygen, we'd all be dead in a short period of time. But if you take sodium... And chloride and you bring them together you get the beautiful wonderful thing that is might be terrible for your blood pressure but is awesome for your taste buds it is salt table salt god created church to be a combination of this but also a combination of small group life on life discipleship and that's where real change happens see because we do church better in small groups and relationships than we do in rows some of you have come in and out of this church with the same struggle in your life for three years since i've been here and i don't even really know your struggle because all we've done is church in rows and not in circles here it's biblical look at this in the book of acts there are two phrases that pop up all the time in the temple and house to house and in fact Uh, Thank you for being on top of that, sorry. In Acts 5.42, there's tons of them I I referenced in the paper if you got that when you came in, but every day they were in the temple. But there are places where it talks about, you know, week they were regularly in the temple, and then from house to house if they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. That phrase comes up over and over and over again in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 20. But then you could say, well that's the book of Acts and that's the early church. That's not today. But then you jump into the life of Jesus and all those verses. He was in church regularly. It says he was at the synagogue as was his practice. And it says that he went to the temple regularly. And here's the thing that I'm trying to make when I spring off of this, it's gonna make it sound like this kind of church in large group, I'm not in favor of it. I absolutely, what I'm trying to help you see is, is that this type of church is incomplete. Some of you have been coming to church, but you're really not living the life that God has for you. You're not experiencing the freedom that you desire. You're not encountering the Lord in the way that you maybe had when you were younger because you're doing church simply in one of the two ingredients in a row and not in a circle with people in your life jesus constantly went to temple and in fact the reason he did is because the bible says that his parents were immediately in the temple after he was born it was a habit and i commend those of you that are parents that are here regularly with your kids but can i just tell you this lovingly as a pastor and you can you're going to do what you want and you can do what you want but you can't do jesus without doing church and you can't do Jesus without consistently doing church. And I've seen it over and over again. There's somebody that show up once a month, twice a month, one, two, it's almost like hopscotch. And they're there, there. And then all of a sudden they come back and they got this crisis and, and, and it's immediate and they need us to drop everything. And, and I'm like, man, if you were in a small group, if there were people in your life, man, you'd be surrounded by five people and I would be getting a testimony instead of a, a, of a, of a 911 call here. Do you hear what I'm saying? Somebody say, that's good preaching, pastor. It really is. You can't do Jesus without doing church. Why? Oh, you're going to say that, of course. No, because it's biblical. It's biblical to do it that way. And listen... God also says to us through the writer of Hebrews, he says, do not forsake the meeting together as is the habit of some. It was the habit back in the first century as much as it is in the 21st century. But encourage one another to meet and all the more as you see the day, the day of judgment drawing near. And we need this. We do, this This part of church is important and, and we need to journey this way. And it is one, but it is only one half of the equation. The other half is doing life on life discipleship. And you even see this in, listen, Jesus modeled it. He says this, we're two or three or more gathered in my name there I am in the midst of you in the King James version there but Jesus he changed the world by hanging out with 12 guys in a small group and doing some side gigs he picked twelve guys. Said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do life with you guys." And they were rubbing each other the wrong way. And they were, they were talking to each other and process. And then when J- Jesus was crucified, they were, they were trying to comfort each other. They were afraid. They journeyed through fear together. They journeyed through joy together when they found he was resurrected. But they did life in close quarters, and that can kind of sometimes be annoying because those that see you the closest sometimes not only love you the most but can annoy you the greatest. And it's challenged to do that, right? And that's called marriage. But it's one of those things that it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But I'm telling you that I'm telling you, it's biblical. And you can read through all those verses. We just don't have time this morning, but I could just beat us to death. Let me read this verse. Let me read that verse. Let me read this verse. You are not intended to do the Christian life alone. In fact, if you try to do it in rows and not in community, you have an eventual destiny with isolation or some of us when we're left to ourselves man we can do serious damage you should see what I am capable of man you just pull off all the restraints I'm like well I mean where would I be without the Holy Spirit without Jesus without real genuine friends in my life without a small group and it's so important for us but here's, here's, here's an important point that I want to make with you. is I always say this. Jesus, you know, forgiveness is vertical, but freedom is horizontal. And the reason why is because people in small groups help us find freedom. I don't have time. I'd, I'd love to chain somebody up, but I just don't have time. But if we were to take this chain, I could maybe lock a couple of locks like these. And you'd be like, no problem. You know. Most of us going through life, when we're just doing a vertical relationship with church and Jesus, we get into a difficult situation. We're always trying to fight for our freedom and find freedom. So we just think like, oh, we're gonna have the key and we're just gonna be able to do this and just be like, thank you, Jesus, I'm free. But then all of a sudden, you get more and more entangled. More and more locks get on your life. And you know what I've come to find? Nine times out of 10, I don't have the key. Somebody else does but I'm not going to experience my freedom because I'm not allowing people in my life. Well, I've been in Jesus a long time. I don't care how long you've been in Jesus. You're not Jesus. (laughs) And if you're anything like me, man, I can do a lot of things that make Jesus upset in a short period of time if I don't have people in my life saying, hey, you're welcome, he says. (laughs) I just... It's for freedom Christ has set us free. And that's, that's that verse. But what do you do? Some problems are just complicated, aren't they? I don't know why they didn't tell me how to make interest off of stock in high school, but they taught me how to use one of these. Combination lock. It's no key turn. Some of the problems that we have in our life is not like done, free, amen. Alter done, gone. In fact, it's 32, right? 22 left 16 right oh I need to pass the second number once (laughs) 32 right 16 left and then I've come to find that there are some situations in my life that I realize how much I need people in my life because I don't have the combination and in fact one person doesn't have the combination three different people have the digit and this one speaks into my life and that one speaks into my life and that one speaks into my life and then all of a sudden click boom and I'm like oh my goodness I never thought that I would get free from that. I never thought that I'd be able to break that depression. I never thought that that hopeless perspective would ever lift off of my life. I mean, it's not all about drugs and, you know, the the number one tool of the enemy is schemes of deception in our mind. There are so many chains up here because he impacts a past experience in our life and he locks it in and says, this is the way it'll always be. I was just thinking of a situation in my life recently where Uh, Some of you know this. You know I go back and forth to Israel, but I had a a, a path where I was going to do my doctoral dissertation. I was making an iBook. I was working with somebody who was just brilliant, networked with some of the greatest minds in the world. Like My professors were the number one archaeologist for Jerusalem archaeology, Eli Shakron, He was my Jerusalem guy. And the guy, the number one archaeologist up in the Galilee, uh, Moti Aviam. He was my, like it was incredible. And I put this whole work together. And then all of a sudden, my professor freaked out. He's like, you can't publish it. And all of a sudden, he got in his mind that I was trying to take all of the things that he taught me and trying to tell everybody I discovered this. It was insane. I may be a lot of things, but I never try to portray myself. What you see is what you get. In fact, that's where my problems come from. I'm too direct. And no matter what I tried to communicate, the staff is laughing because they've been on the regular receiving end of it. But listen to this journey in my life. It ruined me. No matter what I did, I couldn't make a friend out of this person. What do I need to do? And I was about to walk in and say, you can keep all of the the rights to this work. And then Donna Jo Scruggs, woman of God at the Bible College, longtime mentor up close and far away, says, don't you dare do that, Paul. The Bible says, be at peace with all people as long as it is possible. I'm telling you, you ever been so anxious about something you want to throw up? So it did to my life, lost sleep. Couldn't do it. And then finally I just said, I don't care. My identity is not in what I produced. You know my motives. I'm not going to surrender who I am to this person. I'm just going to be me and make a point to disappoint, agree to disagree, I let it go and peace came back into my life it was still in pieces but it was there you know that journey right then all of a sudden I found myself where the leadership in New England they're like Paul we really have a gift in you you've got this this area of who you are but nothing to do with it and we know that like how things transformed there's some of them journeyed with me through this privately and so my pastor my mentor Tim Schmidt said you need to lead a trip for our church and I did and then Bob Wise, the district superintendent who just resigned, he said, Paul, you need to lead and teach pastors in the Holy Land and lead a trip for the presbytery, and I did, and then the pastors. And then after about two or three trips, I'm in the Holy Land, and I'm sitting there with Bob Wise, who knows this whole journey, and he looks at me, and he smiles, he says, isn't it wonderful when God burns something to the ground, removes the fingerprints of man off of it, and then hands it back to you in his hand? I think that that's sometimes some of the journey towards freedom, but if I was doing that alone, which some of that I was, and never let people like Donna Jo Scruggs in or people like Bob Wise and Tim Schmidt, I would have just imploded. And what's interesting is, is just recently, I had an actual communication with this individual and and I was like, I never was trying to be this. And he's like, let's reboot. You know? And I mean, they're not looking for like, hey, let's just join the journey, but some challenges you need other people in your life because they're complicated they're like combination locks and I'm sure that you could get up here and we could just turn the microphone out there and all of you could be like I totally know that it's not the same for me but it's totally it but listen how many of you right now could name the last five sermons I preached if this is really what church is give me the last five sermons I preached right good luck maybe I've heard that you can count on your hand the amount of sermons that really transformed your life. Jim Simbel owns two of those. Ben Crandall owns one of those. Dave Wilkerson owns two of those. I could tell you everything they said. I never, I'll never forget it, but beyond that, man, I don't even know what I'm preaching week to week. It doesn't mean that this is not worthless. This is part of the ingredient to the salt of what the kingdom of God is. It's part of it, but small groups is the critical point to it. Now let me ask you another question. As I want you to think, as soon as you can think of somebody, just raise your hand. How many of you can think of one person that impacted and changed your life and was there at a critical moment? How many can think of a second person that did that? A third person. I'll never forget people who've come into my life because I've come to find that people in small groups help me find freedom. When I allow people close enough to do life on life, Christianity takes on a whole new meaning. You know what, there's some things that you'll find When you take this step that'll come into your life that you didn't allow, first, you'll get companions. You know, show me, I I saw two quotes, they're similar and they're very familiar, but they just hit me like, oh man, this is it. Show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are, right, show me who your friends are, I'll show you what your future is. Surrounding, this is a quote right from this author, page 71, it's awesome. Surrounding ourselves with the right people is one of the most important steps in our spiritual journey. It is, because church has done better in circles of relationship than rows. Proverbs says, whoever walks among the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I could talk to you about confession, right? I used to go to a Catholic church, sit, stand, kneel, go to the confession booth, say five Hail Marys and ten Our Fathers, and blah, blah, blah. That didn't change my life. You know what changed my life? When James chapter 5 16 said, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I no longer got something off of my chest asking God to forgive me. I got it out of my life by making myself accountable to other people. I found care. Galatians 6.2 What is church? Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burden So fulfill the law of Christ I'll never forget When my wife was in surgery And I was sit- sitting In the, sur- the, the recovery room the, the waiting room For people that were in surgery And it was just intense It was an intense thing I mean like God was gracious It wasn't as big Or as prolific As I might make it seem But I was kind of Wandering in the back of my mind And my ne- I waited my whole life For this girl to come into my life And I'm, I might never see her again And that was going through my mind And everybody grieves differently, but I found myself alone there after a while, and I was sitting there, it was torturing me. All of a sudden, this big guy, biker guy from church, Teddy Freiberger, walks in. He goes, hey, buddy. I go, Teddy, what are you doing here? He goes, I'll never forget when my wife went in for surgery and I sat alone in the waiting room. When I heard you'd be here, I said, I'm never gonna let somebody I love ever go through that alone again. He came in and he divided my sorrow. He subtracted my fear and worry and he multiplied my joy you see it's not just that people need you you need people they help give you conviction like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel they walk in and they say we can't eat that but you test us and they stood together and years later three of those boys would stand before a king that says bow down and worship this god or die and they said king know this whether we get thrown in that fire or not we know that the the god that we serve can save us to that fire but we will not bow. Sometimes in order to have conviction in your life, you need friends in your life of conviction because a fire burns better when more logs are grouped together, when more coals are together and they burn hot and free and powerful. Man, if there was a small group I ever wished I was a part of, it was in First Chronicles 11, the whole chapter, but it begins by this. This is the account of David's mighty men. A man who bravely went into a pit with a lion on a snowy day with all odds against him. A man who stood in a field when everybody ran away. And he said, this is my home and I am not surrendering my freedom or this field to anyone. And when everyone split, he swung the sword until the bodies piled. And it says that the Israelites gained heart and they jumped in the battle because one man stood his ground and never gave up. Why? Because he knew that although he stood there, that everybody was going to have to deal with the other thousand that stood behind. Behind him because that's what groups are all about and I think when it comes to freedom I think of one story and two verses and I close with this thank you for your patience we used to tell this story all the time to kids and that we minister to but I tell you what it's been more real and transformed me more as an adult because it's true story goes like this that there was an old man that was sitting outside raking his lawn a little kid comes down the road with a bird cage and he looks happy and the guy's like oh how nice but then he sees the kid doing this he goes hey he goes oh i know this kid it's jimmy 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 what are you doing he says i got these birds he goes what are you doing with those birds he says well I'm going to break their wings. He's poking a stick in there. He says, I'm going to twist their heads. I'm going to clip off one wing and watch how they fly until they die. Like, I'm going to have a good time with these birds. The guy's like, this is sad. Let me tell you what, the hallmark of every serial killer was they would torture animals. I mean, there are people out there in the world that are like this. And so the man thinks for a second, I need to intervene. He says, hey, how much for the birds? Kid goes, what a sucker. He goes, I got 20 birds in there five dollars a bird guy reaches in grabs his wallet whips out a hundred bucks gives it to the kid without even flinching boy goes off to do whatever he's going to do the man takes it and he opens up the cage and he's like all right but none of the birds are leaving they're all cowered up to the side so he realizes that he's got to give some space because he's big and he's not exactly like they are But as he sets down the cage and he steps away from it, one bird sticks his head out of the cage and back in, out of the cage and back in, until finally one of them just flies away. And then one of the other birds watching that bird get free says to themselves, maybe I can do the same. And then they fly away and they fly away until all 20 birds flew free. And I believe with all of my heart, one time hell and Satan came in and looked at God and said, I hate you. And I hate everything that looks like you. And you might damn me, but I'm going to make sure that I take as many as I can with me. And I'm going to ruin their life. And I'm not going to addict them to drugs. I'm going to just make them dishonest. I'm I'm going to totally sow lies into their life that they feel that they can never be fully free. That they can never be forgiven. That in fact, that they can do whatever they want and get away with it. I'm going to break their lives. I'm going to twist their honesty. I'm going to torture their souls. I'm going to enslave them in addiction and all these things. And I'm going to look at you for all eternity and I might be burning, but I'll have everyone burning with me. I'm going to spit in your face because I hate you. And that's what hell does. And that's what Satan did. He looked out at every single one of you because he sees the image of God in you. And he hates everything about you because he hates everything about him. And what he wants to do is put you in bondage and not let you experience the full freedom. And I'm not just talking to new people in the church. I'm talking about people that have grown up in this and have been here for 30 years and you have a 30-year bondage in your life and hell says nobody will love you if you come forward no no you, you you you're there's no grace for you man you expose yourself it'll be it'll never be the same I'm not talking about that I'm talking about getting genuine people in your life sometimes God's too big and he's not maybe necessarily like us but when we get freedom and we get a chance to be free and we see someone get free we're like man if you could do that and God could do that for you maybe he could do it for me maybe I don't have to live in live in fear anymore maybe i don't have to live in anxiety anymore maybe i could be who god wants me to be but here's the here's the catch i was talking about this with krista just last night in our culture we are so humanistic we just say now listen understand what i'm about to say there is a place for everything here but your problems are not just physical They're spiritual. There's a spiritual develop. There's a spiritual element. They're in tandem. And if you just try to go through life dealing physically and mentally with your problems and not acknowledge the spiritual, that in itself will hinder your freedom. Because 2 Corinthians 10.3 says this, For we walk in the flesh, but we do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12 says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and the cosmic powers, that this present darkness. And if I need freedom, and I need to work for freedom, and I need people in my life, man, you must be like me. You see, because church is not done in rows. It's done in circles. But in order for that to happen, you need to let people in your life close enough to see your flaws, to allow them to divide your sorrows, to bear your burdens. I wonder if we could stand across this room this morning. I'm believing with all of my heart that we will not just be a church that does it in rows, but we do it in circles. And I encourage you to plug into a small group. You might be like, I don't know, there's no small group that's there that I really like. That's awesome, start one, start one, start one. Man, I really have a need and I just, man, if you've got a need, then somebody else has got it, start it, and there's a process with this. But here's the thing, you could get all of the people and all the resources around you, but if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit stepping into your situation, it is destined to fail. You'll never break free. And what I want to do is this, is I want to give us a chance to let God step into our situation. This is what this altar call is for. It's to say, oh God, I need people in my life and that's a natural step and I'm going to take it but oh God, I need you to step into this situation. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the anger. I'm tired of the disappointment. I'm tired of all of this. And God, if you can set me free, the Bible says he who the son sets free is free indeed. Lord, I know that I gave my life to you and I've given it to you, but, but would you set me free again? Would you liberate me again? It's for freedom you set me free. I've allowed a yoke in my life that's come on me. And let me tell you what, it's not just drugs. You know what it is too? It's fear. You know what it is? Fear of the future fear that this is it. It's never going to go any further. Or you know what? I've got this problem or this issue and it's never going to be better for me. This is as good as it gets. I'll never be the parent I want to be. I'll never be a parent. I mean, I could go on and on here. God wants to set you free. He wants to help you. Let's invite him in. I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to count to three. And my invitation for you is, is when I hit it, that you get out of your seat and you come forward here. There are people here that you can pray with, but you don't need to pray with somebody. If you want to pray alone, that's okay. You can do that. But man, I've come to learn. Church has done better in circles than in rows. Amen. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your presence here. Lord, right now I invite the power of the Holy Spirit. I take authority over every darkness. Every demonic influence. Lord, the devil just wants another person suffering with him. But Lord, you have set us free through the cross of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it is for freedom that you want to set us free. We want to be free again. Lord, that's our prayer. That's our call. Lord, set me free again. Keep me free again. Lord, I need people in my life. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray across this room that you'd release people to have the freedom to call your spirit to come to their aid. Father, right now, I pray, one, in the name of Jesus, two, three, if that's you right here, I want you to get out of your seat right now and come forward. That's you. Get out of your seat and come forward. Find somebody to pray with. Father, in Jesus' name, have your way.